Good morning to you. Welcome to the papers for Tuesday morning, the 23rd of January, 2024. I'm Richie Allen. I hope you had a lovely night. Hope you had a lovely night. Yes, there you are. It is a mild and pretty still morning here in Salford. Storm Isha has subsided. Storm Isha. Yes, it has retreated. But, 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 don't get too comfortable because Storm Jocelyn is on the way in. I marvel at the stupidity, the abject stupidity and absurdity of television presenters with a complete lack, seemingly lack of self-awareness. I just witnessed, just moments ago, downstairs in the green room, (laughs) there's no green room at BBG Towers, by the way, at a Sky News presenter speaking with a weather presenter saying, wow, two named storms back to back. We don't get that very often said the gormless Muppet presenting for Sky. Two named storms. We don't see that too often, he said. No, said the weather presenter. They're becoming more frequent, these named storms. I mentioned this on the Richie Allen radio show last night. Storms are named by meteorologists. For no good reason. Well, there is, you see. You see, we used to call these weather systems low-pressure systems. That is how they were once referred to by the weathermen and weatherwomen, who used to be minor celebrities. You know, at the end of the BBC News years ago, and at the end of the RTE News from Dublin, you'd have your weather presenter standing in front of a chart. And he or she, usually he back then, as I said, they became minor celebrities. You know, Ian McCaskill. There are many of them. Suzanne Charlton. We had them in Ireland too, right? Weather systems. Like, we have a low-pressure system moving in, which will bring wind and rain tomorrow, through to Wednesday, maybe Thursday, and then that'll be replaced by a bit of settled weather, because it'll be a high-pressure system moving in. Right? I don't know what that accent was, by the way. Now they name them, to weaponize them, to link them to climate change. They give these storms personalities. And it's to create a, a thought process in the minds of people that these things are becoming more frequent and more serious, when they're not becoming more frequent, nor are they becoming more serious. It is the middle of fucking winter. We expect it to be wet and windy and cold. And from time to time for those winds to be gale force, it's always been the way. Let us start this morning with the front pages, because that's what we do. The front pages of the UK newspapers, starting with the iPaper. Wait for it. Touche. On cue, iPaper. Headline, front page. UK's worst storms in a decade will become the norm. More climate change bollocks from the UK press. Range of stories featuring on today's newspapers, touching on Storm Isha, which left thousands of people without power in the UK because of heavy rain and winds. The eye paper says we better get used to it because of climate change. Talking about, as I've already mentioned, that Storm Jocelyn is on the way in, hot on the heels of Storm Isha. That's the front page of the eye paper, which is a photograph of water, uh, a wave washing over a promenade. Lovely. The Daily Mail. Starmer wades into culture wars on the side of the woke is the Daily Mail. Starmer made a speech in central London yesterday. He claimed that the Conservative Party had become tangled up in culture wars of their own making. 
Conservative Party MPs told the Mail, well, in fact, we've been speaking up for traditional values. The front page of The Sun, slow down, is the headline. Is it a, is it a warning to Britain's drivers? No, it isn't. It is Camilla warning Charles, not my king, is that he needs to slow down. Don't be so much of the workaholic. He had a recent health scare, says the son. He has an enlarged prostate and he had a procedure. So slow down, says Camilla. That's the son lead story. The Guardian, medics urged not to report illegal abortions to police. What's that about? What is that about? Well, the Guardian focuses on new guidance, which says health staff should not report women suspected of illegally ending pregnancies to the police. Um, The guidance on not to report illegal abortions to the police is coming from the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. The Daily Telegraph, Alzheimer's blood test revolution for over 50s. According to the front page of the Telegraph, there is a breakthrough in the detection of Alzheimer's in people. A blood test might give you a 15 years head start before you develop symptoms. So a new blood test will be able to predict 15 years ahead of somebody uh, you know, displaying symptoms of Alzheimer's. There's also a photograph of Elon Musk on the front page of the Telegraph, standing outside the gates of the Auschwitz concentration camp in Poland. I will come back to that a little bit later on in the podcast. The Times has the same photograph of Musk outside, on the front page, Musk outside Auschwitz with his baby son, his baby boy, sitting on his shoulders. Musk repents at Auschwitz is the caption. We'll come back to it, as I said. Um, Same story, by the way. Front page lead on the Times is the same as the Telegraph. Blood test can detect early sign of Alzheimer's. The Daily Express, again, same story. Breakthrough Alzheimer's blood test will bring cure closer. Financial Times, narrow voter ID rules expose Tories to claims of bias. Elections chief warns. What's that about? Well, the chair of the Electoral Commission, John Pullinger, according to the Financial Times, is warning that the very, very tight rules which will force voters to carry ID at the general election this year risks disenfranchising certain groups. He also expresses concerns in the Financial Times that the bad behaviour of some politicians is putting younger people off of voting. The Metro front page headline is fat-busting balloon pill on NHS. This is about a revolutionary gastric balloon pill for obese patients. It uh, has been used by the NHS for the very first time. There you go. And uh, it might be used more frequently in the future. The Daily Mirror devastating is the headline. And it's related to the story in the Metro about the gastric balloon. It's a story about a 20-year-old girl who took her own life um, who, no, no, it isn't. Excuse me, it is not. No, it's about a 20-year-old girl who was a big girl. She was bullied growing up because of her size, a large young woman. She went for surgery in Turkey 
and then passed away. Morgan Ribeiro is the young woman's name featured on the front page of the Daily Mirror today. So she was very self-conscious about her signs. She had been bullied. She went to Turkey for a procedure. It went badly wrong and she passed away. It's a cautionary tale in the Mirror. And the Daily Star um, headline is Who's a pretty potty-mouthed boy then? And that's a story on the front page of the Daily Star about sweary parrots. And yes, we will come back to that in a few minutes' time. Let's look inside the papers then. This is the papers with me, Richie Allen, a podcast only. I uh, am looking at the clock. It's 6.33am as I record this here in the heart of Salford. Looking inside the Times headline, Tamsin Gregg, I was worried about taking on Jewish role. Tamsin Gregg, has said she was worried about portraying a Jewish mother before being cast in the Channel 4 sitcom Friday Night at Dinner because she doesn't identify as being Jewish. She played the character Jackie Goodman from 2011 to 2020 and she said, quote, our eyes are being opened, end quote, about who can play Jewish roles appropriately and that she would be wary about taking on the part now as a non-Jew. She was speaking to the Radio Times podcast. She said, I was very nervous when I was cast in the role. I went to Robert Popper, who wrote it and who is Jewish, and said, I have Jewish ancestors, but I don't call myself Jewish. He said, I'm not worried. This was way back in 2009. If he was making that show now, of course, we would have very, very different conversations. Our eyes are being opened, said Tamsin Gregg. <laughs> So, of course, we've had this many times in recent years, this garbage. First of all, Jews or Jewish people are not a distinctive ethnic group. Jews are not a race. A Jewishness is a cultural identity. It's religion, effectively. And um, it might be a tad more complicated than that, but it isn't much more complicated than that. So it's a nonsense to suggest that Jews are a race unto themselves. They're not. But that doesn't matter. It's preposterous to suggest that somebody cannot, you know, that an actor or an actress should should not participate in a film or a theatrical production or a television show, that they shouldn't act as or portray a, a group with which they don't identify. You know, it's ridiculous. It's madness. It's acting dear. Laurence Olivier, rumoured to have said to Dustin Hoffman, when Hoffman made the Marathon Man and employed the 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 method of the, the, not the method but yeah the the practice of method acting, you know, trying to live twenty four seven as the character you are portraying in a film, and Olivier said, "Well, it's acting. Just act, you know. Be yourself when you're not working, and then when you come to to the to the set, just act, act. That's the whole. That's that's the skill of acting." You know, pretending to be somebody you're not. But we've had this in recent years. We even had, kind of, I suppose, infamously or famously, Hank Azaria, who's been one of the lead actors in The Simpsons cartoon since the beginning. Hank Azaria played the character Apu, the Indian-American, not Native American now, but, but India from, from the Middle East, in, in Indian-American, um, quick Emart shop owner. And Hank Azaria left that role, 
left it and apologised for playing the Indian character Apu, even though he's a brilliant voiceover artist. And he sent up or lampooned the Indian corner shop owner very well. And he apologised for it. It's crazy. It's crazy and dangerous, but people don't know any better. There's a Telegraph opinion. There's an opinion piece in the Telegraph today written by Sherelle Jacobs, who's a regular columnist for the Telegraph. The headline is, Britain has become a lawless country where good people have to live in fear. Is this fear-mongering or scaremongering? I'm not sure. I think she might have a point. She writes about how she thinks we live in a country where politicians regularly talk about justice. From human rights lawyer Sir Keir Starmer, she says sarcastically, to Theresa May, you know, the supposed slayer of, quote, burning injustices. She goes on to speak in her article about how liberty is the love language of the right and equality, the crusade of the left. Justice is about the only unifying value left in our country. But like many, says Jacobs, I have completely lost faith in British justice. Quite the contrary, ours feels more and more like a lawless country where there is no justice at all. It's very well written, this. And she provides a lot of evidence to support her claim that Britain is lawless. You know, she, she doesn't just rely on stabbing incidents in London and in Birmingham and elsewhere. She talks about um, a wave of machete attacks around the country. Accident and emergencies, seeing children come in with war zone injuries. Again, this is all detailed with examples and um, facts, really. Facing the ability of the police to attend serious crime and emergency situations stands on the precipice, she says. And she talks about incidents this week, very high profile incidents, where police officers failed to follow up in time after the alarm had been raised about the well-being of children who were later on found dead in their homes. She says burglary has become a virtually unpunishable career choice for criminals with someone charged in less than 4% of cases. It's a scathing condemnation of British justice and the police in this country. A chronicling, she chronicles the steady breakdown in order um, and then goes on to talk about how the police cannot police the borders in this country. And she's right, of course. I was aghast. It was a little bit later on last year, so it's nearly a year since I was knocked down on the M60 in Manchester um, while crossing a pedestrian crossing with the green man. This was filmed, right? Um, you know, I was completely aware of what was going on. The traffic lights went red, green man. I proceeded to run across the road and was hit by a van and a car who had broken the red light, knocking me up into the air. Um, I hit the ground hard. I still have problems with my elbow and shoulder on my right arm. It's a terrible thing. Brought traffic to a standstill. After a couple of minutes, both the van and the car fled the scene. I mean, it's a very serious crime, right? contacted the police. They initially briefly expressed a little bit of sympathy, um, recommended I call the the ambulance, 999, and then said they'd be in touch with me. Two hours later, they phoned me to ask for my address so that they could send a self-reporting pack to my house, which was a like, like a little booklet where I would fill in detailing what had happened. And then they suggested that I, myself, me, the victim that I go around, that I pop around to the local businesses to check 
if they had any CCTV which um, could show what happened to me when I was knocked down. So go and source the CTV yourself. I asked, I was incredulous, I asked the policewoman who'd rung me from, from um, I think, Pendleton Police Station in Manchester, in Salford. I said, um, are you asking me to go, to, to knock on doors and to source or to try and dis, you know discover some C- CCTV? Yes, you're effectively asking me to do your job. And she said yes, and that was the end of it. It's fucking vaudeville. Let's leave that one there. Sherelle Jacobs is right. Law and order has completely broken down in this country. And she's right about burglary. Uh, the police do not investigate burglaries, no matter how serious. Not um, in places like Salford or Manchester or Birmingham. But of course, uh, if you're a big corporation or a bank and you report burglary, they'll be around uh, in front of your premises or property before you can say Bob's your uncle, right? Here's one in The Guardian. I'm going to do a couple of health stories, which I think are important. The Guardian. One energy drink a month increases risk of disturbed sleep. Study finds. Do you drink energy drinks? I do drink energy drinks. I don't drink coffee. And I'm somebody who doesn't sleep well. And I am somebody who is a very, very early riser as a result. Now, I don't drink them during the day. So I don't have them around me all the time. But I do pretty often in the small hours of the morning, I will have an energy drink, right? Maybe I'll rethink it. Energy drinks are associated with insomnia and poor quality sleep, according to a large study suggesting just one can a month, only one a month, can raise the risk of disturbed sleep. Millions consume the products, which contain an average caffeine content of 150 milligrams per litre, as well as sugar, vitamins, minerals and amino acids. They are marketed as boosters of mental health and physical performance and are popular with young people in particular. The article goes on to say, while there is already evidence to suggest they reduce sleep quality, until now it has been unclear exactly which aspects of sleep might be more or less affected or whether there are any sex-specific differences in these effects. Now, the study involved more than 53,000 people aged between 18 and 35 in Norway. And according to The Guardian, it has shed fresh light on the potential negative effects of energy drink. Researchers found those who consumed them every day slept about half an hour less than those drinking them occasionally or not at all. And the higher the frequency of consumption, the fewer hours of nightly sleep clocked up. But even just the occasional can, like one or three a month, is linked to a heightened risk of disturbed sleep. The researchers found that their findings have been published in the BMJ Open Journal. That's an interesting one, and you can read that at theguardian.com. If you do use energy drinks, or you know somebody who uses them, you definitely should, or you definitely ought to, take a look at this article and maybe pass it on to others. It breaks down the differences between men and women. Uh, does this study. Very interesting. That's in The Guardian uh, today. The Times. Here's one for you in The Times today. I think it's picked up by the tabloids as well. Pandemic puppies are badly behaved and poor training could be to blame. 
Problem behaviors are extremely common in pandemic puppies, a study has shown. This is according to the Pet Food Manufacturers Association. The coronavirus pandemic saw a boom in people purchasing puppies as they spent more time at home, with 3.2 million UK households acquiring a pet in the first year of the pandemic. Almost all pandemic puppy owners, 97% of those surveyed, reported their dog had displayed at least one problematic behaviour at 21 months, the Royal Veterinary College research found. So it's the Royal Veterinary College uh, in association with the Pet Food Manufacturers Association, a joint study into the behaviour of pandemic puppies and it finds that 97% of those surveyed reported a problem with the behaviour of the dog. The average number of such behaviours for a pandemic puppy was 5 and 20% of owners reported 8 or more. The most common being pulling on the lead, attention-seeking, fear or avoidance behaviours and aggressions. Now, the lead author of the study, Dr. Rowena Packer, who also lectures in companion companion animal behaviour and welfare science at the Royal Veterinary College, she said the findings indicated problem behaviours are extremely common in pandemic puppies and in many cases are potentially being exacerbated by owners using punishment-based training techniques. Yeah. What we found, you see... Because we've we've always had dogs, you see. We found that it's not just that people purchased puppies in the pandemic or in the, the, the early stages, like early 2020. No, no, the real problem is, is that people who'd never had a dog in their lives previously decided that now was a time to have a dog. They did no looking into, no research into what all of that entailed, what you need to do, how you go about training a dog. And of course, that has led to chaos in the parks and on the beaches of the UK. It really has. I've seen it myself. A, a huge upsurge in the last couple of years of people you encounter struggling to deal with the behaviour of their dogs. It's an epidemic. I completely agree with the RVC, the Royal Veterinary College. The thing is, what do you do about it? The answer is, I don't know. But yeah, you do. We saw a lot of people who had no idea what owning or caring for a dog entailed, thinking, I'm locked at home, doing my job from home. A puppy would be brilliant right about now. And they hadn't a clue. And you might know, you might not know, but our golden retriever, Leia, who's approaching three years of age, or who's just, no, she's just gone over three. She's over three now. Leia was a rescue. We rescued Leia from a doctor and a teacher cohabiting in Withington who spent £1,500 on young Leia and never had a dog before in their lives, brought her into their home in Withington, aged eight weeks. She proceeded promptly to destroy the house, as golden retriever puppies do. Wrecked it, the living room, they'd had enough. They put out an SOS, we can't handle the puppy. Myself and the future Mrs. Allen, the oft-mentioned El Frogo Tremendo, or Caroline, to her family back home. We went to pick up the puppy, whereupon the Asian couple, because they were British Asians, attempted to extract or to to extort £1,500 from me and the missus. And we said, you're having a fucking giraffe now, aren't you? 
you're having a laugh. Of course, we're not going to give you fifteen hundred pounds. Of course, we're not going to give you a thousand pounds. Nor are we going to give you eight or seven or six hundred pounds or five hundred pounds. I'll give you two hundred and fifty pounds, and consider it a life lesson learned. She's going to come home to um, our German Shepherd. We had a German Shepherd called Jazz at the time, who's no longer with us, and she's going to be cared for by real dog people. I'll give you the 250 so you can have a nice night out. But you're going to learn a valuable lesson. Don't bring dogs into your home unless you know how to care for dogs. I shouldn't even give you the 250 But I'm giving you the money so that at least we know the dog's going to a good home. That's how it was back then. Or was it 200 I can't remember. And Leia is thriving right about now. Also in the Times, potty-mouthed parrots rehoused to clean up their language. This is in the Times, but it was the front page story on the Daily Star. A wildlife park is planning to move its swearing parrots to a new flock in an effort to reduce their use of expletives. Apparently, this is more common than you might imagine. Five of the resident African greys at Lincolnshire Wildlife Park were removed from public display for three months in 2020 for swearing at visitors. Profanities have since made their way into the vocabulary of three more parrots. (laughs) So the team are set to introduce the foul-mouthed birds to the rest of the flock in the hope that this will dilute their language. Steve Nichols is the CEO of Lincolnshire Wildlife Park. He spoke to the BBC. Parrots are flock creatures. They need to be with more parrots. The bigger the flock, the happier they are. Even though they swear, the welfare of the birds must come first. He did admit, though, that Lincolnshire Wildlife Park could end up with 100 swearing parrots. But after 35 years of rescuing and rehabilitating them, he said ultimately the swearing will be Diluted. People think parrots are loud birds, but they talk quietly most of the time. I'm hoping, above the general noise of the flock, the swearing will be drowned out, he said. I don't get this. Surely that's an attraction. Surely that's a selling point for visitors. Come and hear the sweary parrots. I mean, I'm not remotely interested in parrots. So if you said to me, Richie, what are you doing on Saturday? Let's go to the local wildlife park to see the parrots. I'm like, no, thank you. But if you said to me, Richie, they've got a bunch of sweary parrots at a local wildlife park. They say the most outlandish shit. I'm like, I'll be there. Let's, I'll drive. I'll drive. There's a telegraph. Let's talk about this. This made the front page of a number of newspapers, or at least a photograph did. The re-education of Elon Musk. Um, this is kind of sinister, really. Musk says he was naive about anti-Semitism as he visits Auschwitz. Elon Musk has admitted to being, quote, frankly naive about the extent of anti-Semitism in the West, adding that sympathy for pro-Hamas rallies at US universities blew my mind. The billionaire owner of Twitter made the remarks at an event with the European Jewish Association following a visit to Auschwitz concentration camp in Poland. And as I said, he's photographed at the gates of Auschwitz. The entrepreneur has been forced to grapple with allegations that he has failed to tackle online anti-Semitism since his takeover of Twitter. He has been accused of fueling an anti-Jewish conspiracy theory. He apologised, Musk did, after appearing to endorse a conspiracy theory last year. Musk replied to a tweet that claimed Jewish people 
were engaged in stoking hatred against whites, calling the post the actual truth. He later deleted it and said the post was the worst and dumbest he had ever sent. So it seems like Musk has been sent for a bit of re-education. Because before Christmas, Musk went to um, Israel, didn't he? He went to southern Israel, where he was escorted around the site of the Hamas attack on October 7th. So he's been brought to Israel and now he's been brought to Auschwitz um, as an act of contrition. As an act of contrition. I mean, one of the newspapers um, actually went with the caption, Musk repents. So Musk repents. It's hilarious. Bit of re-education. Some so-called Jewish leaders didn't like Musk's tweets, so let's bring him for some re-education. It's rather sinister, really. You know, will it lead to the censorship of anti-Zionist, I suppose, discussions on Twitter? It might do. I don't know. I suppose we'll have to wait and see. And the Daily Mail lead story today is we're not in China. What's that all about? We're not in China. Pianist slams ludicrous demand from flag-waving Chinese tourists not to film them as he performed at a busy London station. This is about Brendan Kavanagh, who regularly goes to St Pancras Station in London, where there is a piano. And he sits down, Brendan, and he plays boogie-woogie tunes. And he invites people to come and stand around the piano. If you turn up and you can play the piano, you'll sit there and you'll play it, and Brendan will join in with you. And he puts the he videos this, he films it, and puts it on YouTube. Sometimes he live-streams it. Now, he was live-streaming the other day, when he was approached by a woman from a Chinese tourist group, she told him she was working for Chinese television and asked him whether they were in view of his camera. She, he said they probably were. She said this isn't allowed. As the tourists gathered, gathered around him, it became very heated. He explained to them that he was allowed to film because he was in a public place. We are in Great Britain. We are not in China, he said. What is interesting about the confrontation which was filmed was uh, British Transport Police came to speak to him. He asked one of the um, British Transport Police officers, are you acting as a bodyguard for these tourists? Because the British Transport Police officer asked him to stop filming. We are in Britain, not in China, said Brendan Cavan. It's an interesting encounter. You'll find the video online if you so choose. Well, dearest listener, that is pretty much it for the papers for this Tuesday. Because I don't have much else to tell you from the papers anyway. Uh, The Richie Allen Radio Show is live today, Tuesday the 23rd of January. At four o'clock UK time, I look forward to your company there. It's live, 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 meaning you can join in with comments, which I will read out uh, during the broadcast. Have a fantastic rest of your Tuesday. Until later, from this BBG, Sloan Tommel. Bye. <laughs>